Well, praise the Lord. As we get into Palm Sunday this morning, one of the things that, that we want to bring out about Palm Sunday is, is Palm Sunday was a fulfillment of many prophecies on the same day. As you've seen in some of our prophetic Bible studies here at Gospel Lighthouse Church, Daniel chapter 9 is completely crucial to understanding what's going on in your Bible. If you miss Daniel chapter 9, you're going to miss a lot of whys that are in the Bible. And one of the things that happens in Daniel chapter 9 is Daniel gets told that there is a, a prophecy, there is a judgment of 490 years of judgment on the nation of Israel. And those 490-year judgment are going to start when the second temple is built. And the, and the prophecy, this is Daniel 9, 24 through 27, the prophecy says 483 years after the temple has started, Messiah will be cut off, but not for himself. Amen? Amen. To the day, 483 years to the day, that the temple was rebuilt to the day Jesus rode into Jerusalem on that donkey, 483 years, to the exact day. And so whenever we're looking at Palm Sunday, there is a convergence of so many prophetic passages that all point to who Jesus is. And it's important to see all of those things as they come together. They kind of dovetail all right here in this passage and as we, we pick this up um, in verse number 4, Matthew 21, verse number 4, it says, All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell ye the daughter of Zion, Behold, thy king cometh unto thee, meek and sitting upon an ass, and the colt of the foal of an ass. And the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them and brought the ass and the colt, and they put on them their clothes, and they set him there on. And I'm going to stop right there for a second, and that, that verse is referring to Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9, which is a, a prophecy of how Jesus is going to enter into Jerusalem. In other words, when, when your Messiah enters into the city of the king. When the king enters into the city of the king, he's not going to ride on a white stallion. He's not going to ride on Pegasus. He's not going to ride on a chariot of fire. He's not going to ride with the secret service going out in front of him. What's he going to ride on? A donkey. A donkey. Why is it that the king of kings is riding a donkey in his triumphal entry to show that he is Messiah. Well, it, it's important to see this. Every other king, whenever every other king goes into a town, he's riding on his horse. Most every emperor uh, of, of Rome had a famous horse. Every famous cowboy had a famous horse. Everybody that's, you know, uh, the, the president rides on Air Force One. Every king, every, every ruler, every emperor has had a big pomp everywhere that they go. But when the king of kings comes to his city, he's riding on a donkey. Why is it that he's riding on a donkey? It's the lowly donkey represents our Messiah. And how is it that a donkey represents the entry of our Messiah? Well, it's this. The donkey was lowly and comely, right? One of the things that Jesus 
shocked everybody with is that he was approachable. He never pushed anybody away that came to him in a broken manner. He said that he sought those that were lost. Amen. He said he came to seek and to save the lost. Those that were broken, those that were downtrodden, those that were afflicted, those are the ones that Jesus wrought to himself. Amen. The Bible says that a bruised reed he will not crush, right? A bruised reed he will not crush. What he does is he welcomes the broken to himself. Amen. And so by coming on a donkey, he makes himself approachable to those that need him. Amen? It's an amazing thing whenever we see our Savior as approachable, and that is exactly what he did. And the other thing about the donkey is this. It shows, it shows, amen, that he was meek. Amen? It shows that he was meek. One of the things about, about our Lord showing his meekness is this. Meekness does not equal weakness. Always remember that. Meekness does not equal weakness. In fact, a lot of times we misunderstand what meekness is. When we say someone's meek, we're basically saying they're weak. But Jesus, as the meek and mild Savior, is this, strength under control. One of the things that we see about Jesus is that he is God in the flesh, amen? When he was on the cross, he could have called down 10,000 angels. He could, have, he could have spoken a word and make everything go away in one minute, amen? He was not bound under the hand of no man. He is God of very God. He never stopped being God. He's always been God. He always has been, he is, and he always will be God. Contrary to what people say, he never emptied himself of his deity. He always has been and always will be God. And the fact that he was meek is represented in this fact. He had all the power, all the deity of the Godhead bodily, amen, but he subjected it to humanity. He subjected it to humanity. He allowed, he allowed broken men to touch him. He allowed prostitutes to cry at his feet. He allowed children to come unto him and worship him. He allowed the blind, the lepers, and the lame to come unto him. That's why he said, I came to seek and to save the lost. Amen? And a bruised reed he will not crush. He will not crush the smoking flax. One of the things that we see about our Savior is that he's approachable. That means that he will get down on your level. That's how he identified with our suffering. And when he became a man, he identified with the temptations that we go through, the trials that we go through. He, he's, he identifies with it. One of, the, one of the overarching characteristics of Jesus that you'll see throughout the Bible is this one thing, is this, he was compassionate. He was compassionate. What does that mean? He identified with your and my pain and suffering. When the people were hungry, he identified with it. When, when Mary and Martha were crying over Lazarus, he identified with the pain of losing a loved one. Amen? Even though, even though he knew that he knew that he knew he was about to raise Lazarus from the dead, don't you know he knows the future? Don't you know he exists in the future? Don't you know he's not bound by time? And even though he knew he was about to raise Lazarus from the dead, he wept because they wept. He wept because they wept. He identified with the pain. 
This is our approachable Savior. And even in this hour, he identifies with my need and your need. Because the Bible says that he is our intercessor. The Bible says he is our mediator. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding on this behalf of the saints, even today. Some of us woke up today with a bad attitude. Some of us woke up in despair. Some of us woke up in pain. Some of us in, compute, in confusion, depression, darkness. Some of us woke up hopeless. And you need to know that your Savior has compassion on you. You're not out here on an island by yourself. You're not out here on an island by yourself, but you have a Savior who identifies with what you're going through. You have a Savior who loves you and is fighting for you, who is pleading for you to come to him. That's why the Bible, he says, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will what? No other king says that. No other king says that. Every other king says, come unto me with your gold. Come unto me with your sacrifices. Come unto me. Come unto me with all that you got. But Jesus says, come unto me when you're tired. Come unto me when you got nothing else. Come unto me when you're at the end of your rope. Come unto me when hope is all lost. Come unto me when you don't understand. Come unto me and I will give you rest. That's who our God is. That's who our God is. He, is. he is the king of kings. And when he rode into Jerusalem on that donkey, he was showing himself, you can touch me. You can come up unto me. You need me. Come grab me. Amen? You remember the woman with the issue of blood? What did she do? She came and touched the hem of his garment. Amen? Did he have her stoned? What about the woman caught in adultery? Oh, yeah, she was caught red-handed in adultery. Did he stone her? No. You see, you get, you get that kind of person around a religious crowd, they're going to stone her. But you get that kind of person around Jesus, and he's going to fight for her. That's the difference. That's the difference between religion and Jesus. Jesus will fight for the sinner. Jesus will fight for the broken. Jesus will fight for those that have been abused and mistreated Jesus will fight for the afflicted. Amen? But all those that were proud in heart, those were the ones that Jesus said, you generation of vipers. You generation of vipers. You white water sepulchers. You're white on the outside, but you're full of dead men's bones because you're full of pride. You won't let go. You won't come unto me broken. You won't come unto me in need. See, every time we go and we, I don't need this, I don't need that, whitewater sepulcher. That's what he's saying. And here in this passage, you see that Jesus is the king of kings, but he comes on the donkey. And I, I was saying earlier, you know, when you think about him riding on a donkey, if you've ever seen a donkey, I, I, I assume his feet are probably almost dragging the ground. I mean, a donkey's not that big. His feet are probably dragging the ground and they're throwing clothes in front of him and they're throwing palm branches in front of him as he's descending down the Mount of Olives into Jerusalem. In one moment of time, all the people are worshiping him saying, Hosanna, Hosanna. And just a few days later, they're going to say, give us Barabbas, crucify him. What's going to happen in between there? What's going to happen in between there? 
is that just like in our life, the enemy never stops working. There will be a day when the enemy is vanquished, but from this day to that day, we're going to have to contend against the forces of darkness and fight against every demonic thought, every stronghold that the enemy has, because it's not what, right? It's not flesh and blood that we fight against, but it's against principalities and powers of darkness. Those things wage war on your soul. They try to seek to discourage you, amen? You don't have somebody that'll tie your hands behind your back, but you have somebody that'll tie the hands in your head and in your heart and will keep you back from God. See, the enemy's always at work trying to drive a wedge between you and your God. And here in this passage, you see your God is approachable. The one thing the enemy doesn't want you to do is go to Jesus. And the one overarching thing Jesus showed is, I'm here for you. I'm approachable. You can come to me when you're broken. You can come to me. What prostitute did he turn away? What leper did he turn away? What adulterer did he turn away? Who did he turn away that was a sinner? None. He said, come unto me. Come unto me. All you weary and heavy laden. And I will give you rest. See the rest that he's talking about here? The rest that he's talking about is the peace of God. The peace of God. You know that there's no peace like whenever God comes in your soul. Well, you know, whenever you've, whenever you've gone through affliction and you've gone through turmoil and you've gone through heartache and you've gone through uh, oppression in your mind, and then all of a sudden you remember, wait a second, I'm trying to fight the battle in my head. I'm supposed to go to the Lord. I'm trying to figure out this, this, and that. I heard one time somebody said, you cannot worship and worry at the same time. I thought that was pretty good. I thought that was pretty good. You can't do both. You've got to choose one or the other. Amen? And in our lives, in our lives, we've got to choose whether we're going to press into Jesus or allow the enemy to keep lying on us. Allow the enemy. Because listen, he don't stop. He don't stop. Now, one of the things that I want to show you as we continue in this passage this morning, did we stop? We stopped in verse number six, right? Seven. Look at verse number eight. It says, And a very great multitude spread their garments in the way. Others cut down branches from the trees and strewed them in the way. And the multitudes that went before and that followed cried, saying, Hosanna to the son of David, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he was come into Jerusalem, listen to this, all the city was moved, saying, who is this? So look, when Palm Sunday came, it wasn't something that just happened in the corner of the town. The whole city, how many of y'all know the Bible's true and not a lie? The whole city was stirred up. Something crazy is going on. Who is that riding on that donkey on this Palm Sunday? The whole city was stirred up. Now watch this. And the multitude said, this is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. Now, at that point in time, Jesus has been identified for who he is. He's fulfilling prophecy on what he's doing. And how many of y'all know the very first thing he's going to do is very important. The very first thing he's going to do is very important. He's already been shouted, Hosanna. He's already been shouted. What's the very first thing he's going to do? 
I'll tell you right now, he's going to cleanse the temple. He's going to cleanse the temple. The temple is where God's people meet with him at. And the very first thing on the Lord's heart was cleansing the temple. In other words, we're going to get this right, boys. He said, we're going to get this right. One thing that we're going to correct today, we're going to clean the temple out. Amen? And, and, if you, if, and one of the things you need to know is God's going to do that to the church too. God's going to do that to the church too. Don't you know judgment starts with the house of God? Judgment starts with the house of God. We're always worried about the world, the world, the world, but we're not worried about the church. Amen? We all worried about gaining popularity and the Lord's worried about why we ain't pure. Blessed are the pure in heart, not the popular. All you see throughout the Acts, whenever God's moving, oh, every time you see God move in Acts, you see the church moving in a direction of purity. Purity and purity. And today, it's all about popularity, popularity, and popularity. How many of y'all running? How many of y'all doing this? How many? Everything's about popularity and nothing's about purity, and that right there tells you that the church is sick. The church is spiritually sick. That's right. And, and, and one of the things that we need to see is the very first thing that Jesus came to, he didn't go, he didn't go down to the tavern and clean it out. He didn't go down to the Colosseum and tell them they needed to stop betting on the gladiators. He didn't, go down to, he didn't go down to where Caesar was and tell him, you need to get your face off that coin. It needs to say, in God we trust, not Caesar. He didn't do that, did he? The first place he went was the temple. And in the same way, God's judgment starts with the house of God. So before we start looking at other folks, we need to say, Lord, examine me. Before we, need to, before we go pointing fingers and blasting everybody else, we need to say, God, examine my heart. Show me the error of my ways. Show me, God, where I have misstepped. Show me, Lord. If you're not willing to, if you're not willing to ask God that, you've got a major problem. Problem with pride. If you're not willing to, at any point of your day, stop and say, God, Show me where I'm wrong at right now. Amen? See, somebody that tries to hide their sin, they, leave a they live a double life. Somebody that, that how many of y'all know that it's, I know none of y'all know people like this, but, but there are some folks that may, they, they might, right, live one way on Sunday morning from 1045 to about 145. And then they might live a different way on Monday at 1045. Or Friday night at 7.45. And one of the things that you'll see is in that moment when we're not living the way we should, we will not ask God to show us the error of our ways. When we're doing wrong, we don't want anybody to tell us we're doing wrong. If something rises up in you and you, you cannot take correction, you've got a major problem. One of the most identifiable marks that you'll see in Jesus' ministry when he, whenever he's ministering to his disciples is one thing he instilled in them is this, a teachable spirit. If you're not teachable, you're never going to grow in the Lord. 
If you're not teachable, if you know it all, done it all, seen it all, and nobody can tell you nothing, you're not teachable. You're not teachable in that moment. One of, the, one of the greatest examples of teachableness is whenever the disciples had been out fishing all night long. Amen? And they came up and they cleaned their nets. And if you've ever seen somebody fish like that and clean their nets, it's not easy. It's not the fishing, it's not the dip net like we think. And they were cleaning their nets and they were putting everything back and Jesus said, let's go back out. And Peter said, we've been out all night. Nevertheless, at your word, we'll go. That's a teachable heart. That's someone that says, you know what? I've been doing it this way all my life. But if you want me to do it a different way, God, I will. That's a teachable heart. That's what God's looking for. God's looking for someone to say, you know what, God? I'm not going to walk in my own wisdom. I'm not going to walk in my own wisdom. I'm going to seek you. I'm not going to lean on my own wisdom. I'm going to lean on you, Lord. I want you to show me the right way. I want you to tell me what is right and what is wrong. That's the heart that the Lord is looking for. And whenever, whenever we see that judgment starts with the house of God, the first question you've got to ask yourself, are you willing to stand corrected by God? Because if you're not, you're never going to grow in the Lord. It says in verse number 12, Jesus went into the temple of God and cast out all them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of money changers and the seats of them that sold doves. And he said unto them, it is written, my house shall be, listen to this, please. My house shall be called the house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Now, before we go on, let's just, just camp on this for just a second. I want to show you something. I want to show you how you can go from experiencing God in, by transaction into transformation. I want to show you that right now, so many people are living by transaction. So many people are living by transaction, and that is what these people had done. They had traded their relationship with God into a transaction on Sunday or Saturday in their case. One of the things that you'll see in this is that not only did Jesus throw out the money changers, but he, he threw out those that bought and sold. See, we always think that he came and he took the merchandise tables over and kicked them over, but he also kicked out those that were buying it too. Amen? Those that were buying it too. See, those that were buying the sacrifices, they're just as guilty as those that are selling it. Amen? And those of us who have sold the intimacy that God desires in us, those of us that have sold out that intimacy for any reason are no better. Are no better. See, the, the thing that the Lord wants is intimacy with you. And one of, the, one of the things that your flesh will do is fight intimacy with God at all costs. Your flesh will, will tell you every reason under the sun not to get intimate with God. People are looking. 
I don't like the song. I don't like the temperature of the room. I don't like the lighting. I don't like the colors. I don't like this. I'm tired. I got a headache. I'm hungry. The song's too long. And it goes on and on and on and on and on. And I'm here to tell you right now that if, if you are allowing your flesh to win that battle, you're getting weaker every day spiritually. Uh, you, you, can, you, you, you can say all you want to say, but if you're not getting intimate with God daily, you're not experiencing the transformation that God wants in your life. You are living on borrowed time, and you're faking it. And with God, there is no such thing as faking it till you make it. With God, there's either imposters or the real thing. But there is no in the middle. The ones that are in the middle are the ones that Jesus spews out of his mouth. What he's looking for is a heart of worship. A heart of worship. Not just with words, but with heart. And listen to this. You can't buy God off. That's, that's what angered Jesus right here. It wasn't the fact that people were just selling sacrifices. It's that other folks weren't willing to bring their own sacrifice to God, but were buying it. In other words, taking the easy way out. Do you know that some people, instead of having intimacy with God, will serve on a committee? Some people, instead of having intimacy with God, will volunteer to serve on a worship team or an outreach team. Somebody that, that you know, it's possible that some, sometimes we may not be intimate with God, but we'll try to overdo it and make up for it or compensate for it by our actions. And I want you to know at that point in time, you've crossed the line. You've exchanged the transformative power of God in your life and, and moved it into a measly transaction. In other words, you've sold your soul. You've shortchanged what God wants to do in your life. You know what? If we're not allowing God to move in our hearts, if we're not allowing ourselves to get in a place of intimacy with God, what good, what good is our serving? What good is it? What good is our offerings if we're not giving God our heart? If we're not offering God our heart, why are we offering our money? If we're not offering God our heart, why are we offering him our time? The first thing that we should bring to God is a broken and a contrite heart. The first thing we should ask God before you restore my family, before you restore my fortune, is restore within me a right heart. The very first thing that Jesus goes to is the temple. Get that. First item of business. King comes to Jerusalem. He didn't come and, and, and rebuke Caesar or the gladiators. He came and rebuked the house of God. He said, we got to get this right first. We got to get this right first. This is why I always, it always agitates me whenever people are, are bagging on the school system about not allowing prayer. Amen? It's a good thing that prayer would be in the school, but how many of y'all know it's a better thing if the church would start praying? Amen. 
We all mad at this. They done kicked out prayer. They won't let them talk about Jesus. Well, you, how many churches talk about Jesus? A lot of churches talk about how to get rich, how to have a better life. Come on now. Everybody's shy about Jesus. And, and, and why is it? Why is it that we want the school to teach our kids to pray? They should be learning how to pray in our homes and in our churches. We shouldn't be regulating the, the school system to teach our kids how to pray. They should be learning that from us. How sad is it that the church is trying to blame the school for the lack of prayer? The church should be saying, you know what? We need to pray more. But why is it you see fewer and fewer and fewer at prayer meetings? Why is it that you see fewer and fewer and fewer churches focusing on prayer? Why is it that you see fewer and fewer and fewer focusing on the intimacy with God? And you know what it is now? Well, we got we to gotta add a coffee shop in the foyer. We got to change out the lighting in here so, so it's dark and nobody can read the Bible so they won't know what we're talking about. You know why the lights are on while we have church? Because God is light. And in him is no darkness. Now listen to this. He says, um, Jesus said in verse number 13, he said unto them, it is written, my house shall be called the house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. What they have begun to do is merchandise God. They had begun to sell God. They had begun to sell access to God. They said, you know what? If you didn't bring the right sacrifice, how many of y'all remember Cain and Abel? Cain didn't bring the right sacrifice, but Abel did, amen? It's the same spirit. Same spirit is in the church today as was back then as was in Cain. It's that your flesh doesn't want to bring God the right sacrifice. Your flesh wants to bring God what it wants to give to God, amen? You want to give God what don't cost you nothing. Amen? You want to give to God anything and everything but an obedient heart. Anything and everything but an obedient heart. How many times have we put extra money in the offering when we know we should be down at the altar pouring out our heart before God? How many times have we put an extra 20 in the offering plate when we should have put our, our faces on the floor? What would God rather have, your $20 bill or your heart? What would God rather have? Would God rather you serve on a committee? Would God rather you serve in an outreach? Or would God rather you be willing, broken, and contrite heart at his feet? What would God rather have? What would God rather have? What would God rather have? Now, one of the things that we see about this, the, the casting out of the merchandisers, you remember over in, in, in 2 Peter, G, uh, P, Peter said this. Peter said that, that they will make, what, merchandise of you, didn't he? He said they're going to make merchandise of you. Who's going to make merchandise of you? False teachers. A false teacher is somebody who's going to let you stay in your folly. A false teacher is going to lead you in folly and let you stay there. That's not what your flesh wants. 
Your flesh don't want your flesh don't want to be corrected. Your flesh would rather be merchandised. And that's what they were allowing to happen right there. I've seen it happen so many times. You're not right with God. It's time to sow a thousand dollar seed. Get the wrong things right. God don't need your money. He owns the cattle of a thousand hills, right? He owns it all. God wants your heart. You can't buy God off. That's what they were doing. And that was the very first thing that Jesus came and corrected. You can't buy God off. And, and, and listen, and, 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 and even more than money, people today, you may, not, you may not literally get your wallet out and try to buy God off, but you will, you will buy God off by your outward actions, right? How do we do that? Well, I haven't prayed or studied the word lately. I better go serve on that committee. I haven't, I, haven't, I haven't really gotten in my word like I should. I haven't gotten into worship like I should. So I, best, I, I guess I better, you know, go serve in children's church. Make up for it. Make up for it. They ain't making up for it. They ain't making up for it. God wants your heart. He's not going to stop. He's not going to stop pursuing you. One of the things that I started out this message by saying is that Jesus is approachable. He doesn't say, you failed me time after time after time, now get away from me. The bruised reed he does not crush. You might be broken. You might be in a fog right now. You might be on the bottom looking up, but I want you to know Jesus won't stomp on you. Jesus will lift you up. And he will breathe new life in you. If you'll come to him with a broken and a contrite heart, Jesus will revive you. You have not gone too far that he cannot do a work inside you. He, you have not gone too far that he cannot restore. You have not gone too far that he cannot use you again. Today can be a new day if you'll turn back to him and allow him to do what he wants to do in you. Amen? How many of y'all have failed God before? Right. How many of y'all know that God hasn't given up on you, though? God has not given up on you. Jesus is interceding for you, tells you he has not given up on you. Listen, he don't, it, it's not that he intercedes for the righteous. He intercedes for those of us that keep running into walls. Some of us run into more walls than others. You better be glad Jesus is interceding for the downtrodden, for the broken. Amen? Turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 15. 1 Samuel chapter 15. See what God wants here. There's an awesome story Samuel is the prophet of God. Samuel was, how many of y'all know Samuel was dedicated to God out of promise? Hannah, it's one of my favorite passages in the Bible. Powerful, powerful when a mama prays. 
It's powerful when a mama prays. A lot of times, a lot of times, mamas may not see the fulfillment of the prayers, but the prayers will be fulfilled. Powerful when mamas pray. But listen, uh, Samuel became the prophet of God. Samuel became the prophet of God, and I want you to hear this. Saul was the king. One of the things, one of the things that Saul did is he did not, he, he did not obey God. He did not obey God, but he tried to take a shortcut. He tried to take a shortcut. In fact, what God had told him was clean everything out. Every animal, every person, clean it all out. Don't leave nothing. Because whenever Israel was coming into the promised land, whenever they were battling the Philistines and all these different ites, the Hivites and the the, the Avarites and all these different ites, one of the things God did not want Israel to, to interconnect with them because they were going to defile God's people. Amen? God didn't want his people to be unequally yoked. What communion hath light with darkness? What communion has Jesus with Belial? Come on. He didn't want his people unequally yoked. And what he, told, what he told Saul was to go and clean everything out, but Saul had better plans. Saul took the best of what they had for himself. Right? That's some good stuff. That's some good stuff right there. I know God said that I shouldn't have any of that in my life, but some of it's good. How many of y'all can relate to that thinking? You see, we're going to make fun of Saul, right? We're going to make fun of him. I know that's kind of antiquated. That's some old religion. That's hardcore. We don't have to be that hardcore. I mean, look, not all that's bad. Some of that we could use for good. I mean, I know HBO and Cinemax have some bad shows, but some of them are good. I know not every I know not every song on the radio has cursing in it, but you know some of them are good. You see what I'm saying? See, Saul. God told Saul, "Get rid of all of it. Get rid of all of it. Get rid of all of it. I don't want any of it in your life. You are a separate people. You are supposed to be consecrated and set apart for me. Am I not good enough for you?" God is saying. And Saul said, you know what? I know God wants me to get all that out of my life, but some of it's kind of good. I I mean, I could use some of it for my good. I need to relax after a hard week of work, you know? Sometimes I just got to let out some steam. What you need is to get refreshed by the living water. And when you're not getting refreshed by the living water, your flesh will cry out to let out steam in a worldly way. But if you, if you are going and you are getting and drinking from that well of living water, letting it rise up in you, you won't need that stuff the world has. What it says in verse number 21 1 Samuel 15, verse 21, it says, But the people took up the spoil, sheep and oxen, the chief of the things. Listen to that. 
They took the best, the chief of the things which should have been utterly destroyed to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God in Gilgal. What did they do? They took the best. They, they, they didn't get rid of all of the stuff that God said to get rid of. Now look, if you want to question God's motives in why God doesn't want you to do this and do that, your flesh will start finding reasons why, why you can do certain things. But God's not looking for you to question him. Have you read Job? Remember what God sold to Job? Where were you when I created the world, right? Where were you? You want to question me? Okay, I'll question you. Where was you when I made everything? Come on. His ways are higher than our ways, are they not? I know that Christianity today teaches that you can be a little God, but you can't. There is no other God but Jesus. He said, you shall have no other God before me. He is the only God, the only I am. And, and, and yet we say, well, I know that you said that I'm not supposed to do this, but, but, those are what's going to get you in trouble right there. So the people, God said, get rid of everything, and the people said, we'll get rid of everything but the good stuff. I know nobody wants to see me at the liquor store, but I could order it online. Nobody wants to see me buying drugs in the alley, but I can lie to my doctor. Woo. Pastor done went there. Now watch this. See, the chief things, they, they kept back. It should have been destroyed, but they kept it. And look what it says in verse 22. Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to, listen, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. And I'm going to stop right there for a second. Listen to this. I want, I want, I'm going to move this together. The people of God, whenever Jesus came down into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, they were sacrificing to God they were giving God sacrifices, but they were doing it the way they wanted to do it, not the way God told them to do it. They were bringing to God sacrifices that they bought, not sacrifices wrought. Now, how do we relate that to us? Well, God doesn't, God doesn't ask you to bring a lamb. God doesn't ask you to bring doves. But your flesh will try to buy God off. By not giving him. Well, you know what God wants right now? God doesn't want your lamb. God doesn't want your dove. God's got a lamb. He is the lamb now. Amen. We're on this side of the cross now. But what does God want? He wants your heart. He wants your heart. He wants an obedient heart. And he said obedience is better than sacrifice. See, it's not about bringing a sacrifice to God. It's about obeying God's voice. 
He's looking for an obedient vessel. You know what? If we're not willing to obey God, what good is the sacrifice? This is where Israel erred. How many of y'all know the sacrifices never stopped? But they added to it worship in the high places. The sacrifices in the temple never stopped, but they began to worship Dagon and every other god under the sun. Read Jeremiah. They were worshiping every high place, the, the Asherah pole. They were worshiping Baal. They were worshiping everything. But yet they were still bringing sacrifices to God. And finally God said, away with it. Away with it. And that was the very first thing Jesus did when he came into the temple. Presenting himself as Messiah. The very first thing he did was cleanse the temple. The temple is supposed to be a place of praise. Not a place where you're buying God off. Trying to trade. Well, I know you want me to obey you, God, but I'll serve on that committee for you. It sounds foolish when you say it like that, but our flesh says it every day. And I know it does, because my flesh does the same thing. I always tell our church every Sunday night, every Sunday night when I get home, the very first thing my flesh says is, you don't need to pray tonight. You've done preach three times today. The very first thing my flesh says when I get home on Sunday night is, you don't have to pray tonight. And if I know if my flesh does that, your flesh does too. Because God's no respecter of persons. We all face the same issues. We all face the same issues. Your flesh will tell you, you don't have to pray tonight. You went to church. But what did Jesus say? The temple of God is supposed to be a house of what? A house of prayer. A house of prayer. Now watch this. We're going to go one more, and then I'm going to take you one other place. It says, for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. And stubbornness, how many of y'all know what stubbornness is? Don't look to your spouse. Don't look to the left or right. Don't look at your children. Stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected thee from being king. You know what, you know what Saul got? Saul got rejected by God because he rejected God's word. And listen, listen, Jesus is approachable today, but he wants you to come to him. He wants you to come to him. Don't try to buy him off. Don't try to overcompensate for disobedience. You cannot overcompensate for disobedience. Disobedience has to get dealt with at the altar. You cannot offer extra sacrifices to make up for disobedience. Disobedience cannot be made up for except to bring your heart to God. So if you're, dis if you're disobedient to God in any area, understand God's not impressed by your sacrifice. God wants your heart.
God wants you to make things right with him today. You don't have to go home. You don't have to go home disobedient. That's the thing. We have an approachable Savior. He's still approachable today. He's seated at the right hand right now. He's seated on the throne in heaven right now, but he's still approachable. Today, we can come boldly to the throne of what? Grace and obtain mercy in our time of need. This is the time where we can go to God for mercy. There's not a person in here that has not been disobedient at some time. There's not a one of us that have done everything right. We're not that good. We're broken folks. But the mark of a believer, the mark of a believer is a continual going back to God. I always think about that old song we used to sing in Sunday school when I was a kid. It's me again, Lord. It's me again, Lord, standing in the need of prayer. It's me again, Lord. You see, a, 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 a heart that is out for God is a heart that will say, Lord, it's me again. Just like David did. It said David, God said that David was a man after God's own heart. You know what David did? When David messed up, he confessed. When he messed up, he fessed up. When Nathan said, it's you, David, David broke. I've disobeyed God. That, that is a teachable spirit. It's not that you never mess up, but when you mess up, you allow God to correct you and get you back on the right path. Listen, the enemy has one plan for your life, and it is to keep you away from God. And God the whole time is interceding for you that you would just break and come back to him. There's where the battle is. We've been talking about spiritual warfare for Four weeks. There's where your battle is. Now, turn in your Bibles to, first, to the book of 1 Corinthians. This is where we're going to close at. The book of 1 Corinthians. And we're going to start in verse number 16, uh, chapter 3, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse number 16. God said, know you not that you are the temple of God and that the spirit of God dwelleth in you. Now, this is obviously talking about a believer. A believer is the temple of God. We do not go to the temple of God anymore. We are the temple of God when we become born again. The Spirit of God dwells in the born-again Christian. But, the, the, but what Jesus said still stands true. He said, my house 
shall be a house of prayer, but you've made it what? A den of thieves. And when we keep ourselves back from God, we do the exact same thing. You see, if you're a born-again believer, God intends for you to be a place of prayer. You're the temple of God, and God intends for you to pray without ceasing. That doesn't mean that your every word coming out of you is prayer, but every spirit coming out of you is a spirit of prayer, a spirit of praise, where you walk around with an attitude of worship and praise and prayer. This attitude of prayer should be the hallmark of a Christian. But what we see now is an attitude of not prayer, but despair. What we see now is an attitude of despair. Well, everything's going wrong. I can't have this, and I don't have that when God has called us to pray without ceasing. You see, whenever we begin to walk in our own ways and try to figure things out in our own wisdom, we get despair, discouraged, despondent, get in some darkness, depression, you see, a lot of times life doesn't make sense. And when you try to make sense of it yourself, you'll get into despair. You'll think, well, it doesn't matter what I do, nothing's going to work right. It doesn't matter how hard I try, I keep failing. It doesn't matter this, this is always going to be like that. And God said, lean not on your own understanding. Trust God with all your heart. But we'd rather try to figure it out ourselves. We'd rather try to figure it out ourselves. Why we can't have that? Why does so-and-so get that and I can't? Why did so-and-so get to get married? Why did so-and-so get a baby? Why did so-and-so get a job? Why can't I get that? Why can't I have joy? Why is my life all the time hardship after hardship after hardship? Well, you know what? You're not promised roses, but you are promised peace and joy. God gave you peace and God gave you joy. No matter what you go through, Jesus will go through it with you. That's what he promised. He said, my peace I give unto you, give I not as the world, right? Amen. His presence goes with us wherever we go. Whatever hardship we find ourselves in, he's there with us. He's the fourth man in the fire. He's in the den of lions with us. He's in the tribulation with us. He's in the oppression with us. How do you know that? Because he's the one sustaining you. You hadn't got this far on your own. You, you have not made it from that to this by your own strength. He strengthened you every step of the way. Amen? And it's not his fault you're not giving him glory for it. You and I both know you're not strong enough to come through all the things you've come through. The only reason we don't give God glory that he's due is because the devil is playing with your mind. The only way you, you are still here today is because he's sustained you. The 
One more place in, in chapter 6, verse number 19. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse number 19. says what know you not now because some of y'all are like yeah but I, I I know you heard I know it said I'm the temple but you know the Bible said out of two or three witnesses let every word be established God said okay I got your two witnesses here's your second witness he said what know you not that your body everybody say my body your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own. Everybody say, I am not my own. For you, why are you not your own? Because you were bought. Look at verse 20. For you were bought with a price. The old rugged cross. That blood so divine. You are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Glorify God. How do you glorify God? Being obedient, giving God your heart, giving God yourself. Glorify God by saying, God, here I am. You can have me. Here I am, God. I'm not going to hold myself back anymore. Some of us are holding on to grudges. Some of us are holding on to grudges. Some of us are holding on to how we think we should be. That's radical. You're talking about some radical Christianity, Brother Kenny. No, I'm not. I just read the verse. It's not radical. It's just Christian. That verse is not asking you to do anything that God's not asking anyone else to do. That is basic, fundamental Christianity. God wants your heart, not your sacrifice. God wants you to let go of who you think you should be. God wants you to let go of how you think your life should go. God wants you to let go of every selfish and fleshly ambition. And God wants to have you. God wants to do something new in you. I said earlier, this is how to go from transaction to transformation. Transformation comes when you let go. When you let go of telling God how things are going to be. I'm a little God. I'm going to tell God how it's going to be. Does the clay tell the potter what to do? Does the clay tell the potter what to do? Lord, mold me. Lord, mold me. Make me into the man or the woman of God you want me to be. I might have my own ideas, God, but I surrender them all to you. I give it all to you, God. I lay it all down. What you want me to be, God, let it stir up and rise up in me. I surrender everything to you right now. That's where you'll go from using, using transactions to buy God off 
to having God transform your life. Having God transform your life. One of the things, one of the things that you see um, back over in Matthew 21, if you, if you want to read the rest of it later, is that it says that all the children were worshiping and praising God. You see, and that happened after he restored the temple into a house of prayer. What does that mean? That means when, when the house of God gets set in order, who, who's the temple of God today? When the house of God gets set in order, praise will be restored. Power, power will be restored. In other words, will be transformed. We'll be transformed by the power of God. Amen? We'll be transformed by the power of God. I'm going to close in Romans chapter 12 this morning. Whenever we're talking about the power of God, I want you to know something as we come to a close in the service on this Palm Sunday that God is just as powerful today as he ever has been. We, we, we sing a song sometimes. It's, it's, it's you know, um, well, we sing it sometimes. A lot of churches don't sing it hardly anymore. There's power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. But you know what? There's, if, if there has ever been an ounce of power in the blood, it's still in there today. If God has ever saved one soul, he can still save souls today. If he's ever, if he has ever, if he has ever done anything by the power of his blood, he can still do it today. Wonder why revival's not in the church today? It's not God's fault. God is not growing gray hair. He's not taking a nap. We don't have to wake him up, right? We don't have to splash water in his face. He's ready. We're not. We're not ready for revival. We schedule a revival. These three days, we're having revival. You know, if revival broke out, you wouldn't stop. That's the definition of revival. You don't stop. It's, it's a new thing that God does in you. Heard an old minister say, I, I like to listen to old preachers. I don't really like m- many people that are on the radio and TV today. And it's kind of odd to say that because we're on the radio. But, um, but I don't. I just, I'm being honest. I, I usually have a rule of thumb. I don't, I don't listen to anybody unless they've been dead for about 100 years. But, but one of the things... I heard one old preacher say this. Cause, well, look, they had a different walk back then. To, to, today, it's all about building buildings and building your own kingdom and not building God's kingdom. To, today, everything is about, you know, sow your seed because we need a new auditorium. You don't hear that back then. Back then, it was about your soul. Back then, that minister was, was, was fighting for your soul and for your family and for the nation. And that's what we need again. Amen? But, but one of the things I heard an old minister say is, is you pray for revival, but you don't want it. 
Because he said, and the last real big revival was over, um, over in Europe uh, before Azusa Street. But one of the things they said was, when revival truly comes, you'll have pastors getting saved. You'll have pastors' wives getting saved. You'll have deacons coming up to the altars, you know, repenting of, of, of you know, looking at other people's wives and stealing. And you'll have all kinds of stuff. Because he said in revival, what happens, what happens is when you, when you get into that place where you're finally letting go, it's all coming out. And I know on, I know on Sunday, everybody looks like everything's square. But everybody's human. And when revival comes, that's when God's doing a work of cleansing. I told you earlier, God is about purifying. God is about purifying. And if there's going to be a work of revival, there's going to be a spirit of purity in the air. Everything that God touches, he's going to purify and make clean. Amen? The blood cleanses. The blood cleanses us. The blood cleanses us. And so one of the things, as we close in Romans 12, let's look at just verse 1 and 2, and we'll close. He said, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. Do you know how many people, you know how many people God is trying everything to give them mercy, but they will not obtain mercy? So many of us desperately need God's mercy because we're in bad straits. We're in a bad place. And God's mercy is available for us. God's mercy is available for the murderer. God's mercy is available for the one that went through an abortion. God's mercy is available for the homosexual. God's mercy is available for the adulterer at heart and in reality. God's murderer is God's murderer can find mercy at his feet. I told you earlier, Jesus is approachable. He doesn't push the broken reed down, he comes down to it. A broken reed he will not crush. The smoking flax he will not quench. You bring to God a broken and a contrite heart and he will heal you. He will restore you. He will breathe new life in you. That mercy is available but not everybody obtains it. He said, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies. Everybody say, my body. Every, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. What does God, does God want you to serve on a committee? No. He wants you to be pure and clean. He wants you to come to him and allow him to cleanse you and forgive you. That's what God wants. Present yourself to God. God, I am broken. I am messed up. But here I am, Lord. Please forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me, Lord, of my iniquity. Restore a right heart in me. Amen? Restore me, God. That's what God's looking for. That's what God's looking for. He's not looking for you to put an extra 20 in the offering plate. God wants your heart. 
God wants your heart. And one of the things about a living sacrifice, you know the interesting thing about a living sacrifice is this. A sacrifice gets put on the altar of God. A living sacrifice means you can get off at any time, but you choose to stay there. You want to go down to the bar? God gives you a free will. Go. You want God? Stay on that altar. You want God's power in your life? Stay on that altar. You want God to heal your marriage? Stay on that altar. You want God to to move in your family? Stay on that altar. You want to get rid of that sin once and for all in your life? Stay on that altar. But God gives you a free will. You want to go down to the bar? Go. You want to go to the casino? Go. You want to go places? You want to go to that alley you shouldn't go in? Go. God gives you a free will. It's a living sacrifice he wants. He wants you to stay right there at the altar because that's where you want to be because that's your choice. You want him more than you want that. A living sacrifice. That's what God desires. God gives you the choice. God gives you the choice to go to the bar, but he wants you to stay right here. If you want God, you stay at that altar. You stay at that altar as a way of life. Amen? You stay at that altar as a way of life. That's how a Christian lives. The temple is a house of prayer. We stay in a place where God can speak into our lives, where God can tell us we're going in the wrong direction. We say, okay, God. And look what it says. And be not conformed, the last verse, be not conformed to this world. God's not looking for you to fit in. God has not called you to be world-like or world-light. You, the church is not supposed to be diet world. It's one of the problems that we have. That's why a lot of times churches look like rock concerts. We're trying to look like the world and imitate the world instead of imitate Christ. How you imitate? We're called to imitate Christ, but yet we imitate the world. How do we imitate Christ? What was he like? Was he like a rock concert? You tell me. says, be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I told you when I started out, we, we're looking at how to move from a transaction mentality to a transformation mentality. God wants to transform you. Your flesh wants to keep God in a transaction manner. This is what Cain did. Here's my transaction, God. Here's my crops, God. Transaction mentality is where your flesh wants to stay. God wants you to live in a place where he's continually transforming you, renewing you. And God gives us the choice. 
What do you choose today? Do you choose to stay in transaction or do you choose to move over to transformation? God's mercy is available. When we're ready, God will transform you even today if you'll ask him. Amen.